Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. Sundays, we have been walking through our uh, vision as a church family, and I hope this has been an encouragement to you to uh, hear a little bit about what the next chapter of our life could look like together. We've been praying through this for years now as a leadership, received feedback from you all, moved into this vision, and we're trying to just name the reality that we see God doing among us, and I'm very excited this morning to continue that. You know, when we talk about mission here at Greenville Oaks, what we're answering is a question of why. Why do we exist? And we've named that over the last few weeks. We exist here at Greenville Oaks to inspire people to follow Jesus. That's the mission Jesus has given to us. And we do that because we're convinced that following Jesus leads to the best way of life possible. So that's our why. That drives so much of why we live, why we exist as a congregation. And then we've talked about our what, answering that question. If that's why we exist, then what are we going to do? What does that look like here at Greenville Oaks? And we've talked about how we want to in Collin County, uh, mentor thousands to trade the pursuit of artificial success for the abundant life in Jesus. But a lot of church vision processes have talked about whys and whats without answering the question of how. How are we going to live this out as a community together? Those are great dreams and words on a page, but that doesn't matter unless we're going to live that out, enact that in some way. And so this morning I want to answer that question. How? And the number one answer to that is only by God's grace and movement and power, only by the Holy Spirit of God will any vision uh, get its carry out. We can't do this on our own. And if our dream was of something that was small enough that we could carry it out on our own, it's not a big enough dream and vision and mission that God gives us uh, something to do. And so we really do believe this will be a journey we'll be in over the next decade and more together as we think about the thousands that we want to touch. And that's going to take hundreds of us coming to know how and being equipped to mentor, to coach others in their next step, leading them into the abundant life as we are experiencing the abundant life. And so I want to talk this morning, like I said, about what our game plan is for that. All coaches, we're talking about coaching the next step in this series. If we're all going to become coaches who are able to coach others in this way of life that Jesus has uh, taught us to live into. Another word for that is discipleship, right? Or mentoring. If we're going to become those kind of mentors and coaches and disciple makers, we've got to experience that ourselves and feel like we're prepared in some way uh, to be able to go out and to share that good news with others. And so this morning I want to share more about that how with you. Let's pray as we open God's Word together this morning. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you have given us a mission and you have given us a purpose. We exist for your glory and to share your glory with the rest of the world. 
And God, uh, all of us are at different places on this journey, on our way to looking more like Jesus, sanctified by his power. And we thank you for the forgiveness of sins that is ours in Jesus because of his sacrifice on the cross. In just a few weeks, we'll celebrate the resurrection. And we don't take for granted the gift that that is for us. But you did that not just so that we could be made right one with you. It's so that we could share that message with others as well. And expand your kingdom in all kinds of ways on this earth. So God, this morning as we talk about how, as we think about our next steps as a people, I pray that you would speak with clarity through me, but also in individual ways through your Holy Spirit to let us know, each one of us, how we are engaged and can be engaged in this mission in the years and days ahead. I pray this morning you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and all God's people said, amen. We need to start this morning by thinking about ends and means. Ends and means. Now you've heard the phrase before, the ends justify the means, right? Now what is that, what are we talking about when we use those two terms in any kind of group of people, organization, a family, an individual? Well, the ends of any group or organization are the goals or the final results that we want to one day see. And the means of a group or organization are the methods or the strategies used to achieve those ends. So if your end, for instance, as a a parent is to educate your children, one possible means to that is to send your children to school, right? Knowing that education is far larger than a school program walking through graduation, but it's a great start to that journey of education. If your end is to get in shape, then getting a gym membership or finding a trainer might be a way to, a means to, achieving the ends that you might have. If your end is to sell cookies, the best possible means is the Girl Scouts because they know how to sell some cookies, right? So what about the church? Well, if we follow King Jesus, then that means we take our direction from Him. So why is it? What was the end that Jesus came to earth for? Why did God send Jesus into the world? What is all this really about? What is Jesus' central concern? And believe it or not, Jesus didn't come to earth in order to establish a religion. That wasn't his end. Jesus came to announce a kingdom and to invite all who came into his contact to follow him in that kingdom. Now, that may sound like a subtle difference between a religion and a kingdom. But if you get these ends and means wrong, you'll find yourself arguing over all kinds of things that are less important than the chief key aims that Jesus came to be about. Now, if what I've said is confusing already, that's okay. I want to get further into this, and I want to look at the words of Jesus this morning. In fact, if you have your Bibles, open with me, if you would, to the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark that tells the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. In Mark chapter 115, Jesus uh, says his first words, uh, the first red letters we find in this gospel. And these are the first words we hear from Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Mark 1, verse 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now Jesus talks about, in his first phrase here, about the kingdom. 
And growing up in church, I, I didn't hear that much about the kingdom of God. I, I guess I remember some, you know, times we would pray about your kingdom come, your will be done. But it was pretty foreign language to me until I, until I started to study Scripture more and see how prevalent this language is. In fact, it's interesting, in the, in the Gospels, in Jesus' words all throughout, the word church only shows up three times in the words of Jesus, all the red letters. The word kingdom shows up 85 times. Now, we think a lot about the church, and obviously the book of Acts talks more about that a little bit later on, but Jesus and His chief concern, what He comes to announce here in His first words in the Gospel of Mark is, the kingdom has come. Repent and believe the good news. Now, what is Jesus saying? What does it mean that the kingdom of God has come or is coming? How is the kingdom's arrival good news? Because that's what He says, the good news is this, the kingdom of God has arrived. We're going to do a little bit of background work with some words this morning. So if you want to learn some words along with me, the word here that Jesus uses in the Greek translation, or in the English translation, is translated from the Greek, and the word is basileia, every time the word kingdom shows up. Basileia can mean several things. We often translate it as kingdom. It can mean uh, empire. It can mean rule. So what is a kingdom or an empire? Well, every kingdom has three things that are associated with it. As a king, it has citizens and it has a territory. Think back to the kingdom of Israel, right? There, were, there was a king with Israel, King David, there was King Solomon, there was King Saul. All of these kings are the ones who were on the throne that are the visible representation of God to the people of Israel at that time. And there were citizens, right? The people of Israel had 12 tribes that they all lived within, the family clans that they had come from. And there was territory, and that territory increased and decreased depending on the battles that happened in the Old Testament. The same is true in Jesus' day, although it's not the kingdom of Israel that they're living within. They're living under the rule of the Roman Empire, and that Roman Empire was a kingdom. It was an empire, right? Which meant that it had a king. Caesar was king at that time. And of course, there's King Herod, and there's lesser kings that were over the area that Jesus is born into. But there's a king. There's also citizens, which are all those who pay their taxes to King Caesar. And there's also territory. And the territory of the Roman Empire was enormous. It went all the way from the British Isles all the way to Israel, North Africa, and in between most of Europe. That's all the Roman Empire during this time and in the years that came. So if Jesus is announcing the arrival of a kingdom, an empire, well, this is pretty threatening to those empires that now sit on the throne, isn't it? And, and this kingdom of God must have three of the same things. Who is king in the kingdom of God? Jesus is king. Who are the citizens in the kingdom of God? Any of those who submit themselves to God and to His rule. And where's the territory? Well, it's pretty much the whole earth, right? Jesus has come to announce, look, this kingdom is growing. It has come on the earth. So when Jesus uses the word basileia, he's declaring an opposition force to the kingdoms of the world at that time. No wonder King Herod is so threatened by the arrival of this baby king. No wonder that Pilate ends up putting him on a cross. This announcement of the kingdom that Jesus begins his ministry with is trying to say something to those kingdoms that are in charge at that time. And what he says to the people who come to him early on in his ministry is, I want you to repent I want you to change your mind, to change direction from the way you've been living. And the reason is because there's a kingdom that's come, and I'm the king of this kingdom. And we live in a different way than many of the ways you've learned growing up all about. 
The kingdom is Jesus' end. He came to announce and invite people to live into the kingdom of God. So what does Jesus do next? What is going to be his means to the end of this kingdom that he announces? Well, we read on in verse 16, more about that. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, he said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he got a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. He goes out and he begins to go around the Sea of Galilee and he calls these fishermen to come and follow him. It's simple, three words that he says to them, come follow me. And they do. Immediately they drop their nets. I'm sure the father Zebedee's like, what is going on? My sons, I've lost my, my, my best ones. I've taught from childhood how they're going to come and take up the family business. But these four young men, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, they follow Jesus. This was Jesus' means for the kingdom. This was Jesus' game plan. This was the means to growing the kingdom of God was these four men that would be followed by eight others that would be followed by 70 others around them that would be followed by many more that would see him after his resurrection that would be followed by many that would come after that. And it was an effective strategy, wasn't it? But here we are, this many people all around the world today, two billion who claim that Jesus is Lord. It was an effective strategy. And this is what Jesus does, right? I mean, Jesus, if we can represent him by a cross, which he's going to end up on a little bit later, Jesus realizes there are people all over the kingdom of Israel at this time. What he's saying to them is, look, I want you to repent. I want you to believe the good news. I want you to transform from who you are. I want you to follow me. And so there's all these people that are around Jesus, and Jesus is going to try to uh, make an impact in their lives. He's going to call them to say, come, follow me. And from that strategy, here we are. Business schools ought to learn how Jesus did this in the Jesus movement because this is how you start a successful movement. Word of mouth, transformed lives, fruit on their branches, sharing that message with everyone they come across. But as we talked about last week, Jesus knew where his journey was going to end. He's a selfless person who's going to give of his life on the cross. He told his disciples who were following him that he was going to die and he was going to be resurrected, which meant the success of this kingdom would depend not on Jesus in the end, but on these followers of Jesus who were the means to accomplish the end of his kingdom growing. For Jesus, the end he aimed for was establishing the kingdom and inviting people to follow Jesus as Lord. Jesus came to call disciples. And the means to that ultimate end was the church. Now, I said this earlier that kingdom shows up 84 or 85 times in the Bible. The word church shows up three times in the words of Jesus, rather. And the Greek word, here we go to more words for you. The Greek word translated as church throughout the New Testament is the word ekklesia. Ekklesia. It wasn't originally a religious term. It was actually a term they stole from the civic world at that time. An ecclesia was simply a gathering or an assembly of people called out for a specific purpose. You're involved in all kinds of ecclesias throughout your week, aren't you? Committees, teams that are established. This is a civic term of those that are called out for a specific purpose. And ecclesia was actually joining two parts of uh, two Greek terms. One was the word ek or the preposition ek, which meant it was denotes origin, from or out of is what that prefix 
uh, really means. And then the verb kaleo, which means to call. So literally, ecclesia means something like the called out ones. I like that as a definition of what the church is. When Jesus was using this term that we translate as church, he wasn't referring to a place. He wasn't referring to a building. He was referring to a group of people who he was calling to come follow him, who had been called out for a specific purpose, to an end to which they were seeking to be a part of. But in our culture, when we refer to church, we most of the time refer to it as a place, don't we? A building. It's a place we go on Sunday mornings at these hours and sometimes some other times of the week. But the English word church actually comes from a German word which I've tried to say twice in church before, and I've been corrected both times. So I hope that I get this right. Troy is going to help me this morning, because last time he said, uh, try that again, we can do this better. I think it's Kirke, is that it? Kirka. Kirsha? Well, we got some disagreements even in the pews this morning. But the point is, we receive this word church from the German word, Kirka or Kirsha. Church isn't a translation from the Greek. It's actually a substitution from the Greek, and a bad one at that. Because the German term kirka and the Greek word ekklesia refer to very different ideas and, and that are lost in translation. A kirka is a location, and ekklesia is a purposeful gathering of people. You can lock the doors of a kirka, not so much the ekklesia of Jesus. So what began as a movement dedicated to carrying the good news of Jesus to every corner of the world has all too often become an insider-focused hierarchical, ritualized institution. What began as a means became the end. So if I can draw this circle for a moment to represent this kirka that we talk about, I hope I'm getting this right. Anyway, it was actually in Denver, it was a a German missionary's kid that was there to uh, correct me on that one. But you get the idea, right? If we can let this circle represent the church, What happens when we draw this circle around the board, when church becomes an end, is we start having endless arguments about what constitutes those who are inside and what constitutes those who are outside. So much of our efforts are focused around this. What are the initiation rites that get us inside of the circle and what are those that leave us on the outside? And so we begin to focus on that. Who's a part of us and, and who's not? And when you draw the line and make the church the end rather than the means, the focus changes from following Jesus, which is the original call that Jesus gives. Come follow me to who is safe, who is those who are on the inside, and who are those who are on the outside. And when that happens, everyone starts to congregate around the borders uh, of this kirke, this church, right? We start to congregate around here because our job is to look outside and to see who those that, that we're called to bring in. We're called to grab people and help them come across this line so they can actually enter in to the safety of the kingdom as God announces it. And so evangelism becomes this kind of move, right? We're trying to take people who are on the outside. We're trying to help them take a step on the inside. And we have initiation rights to let us know when that moment happens. And so the goal of faith, the finish line, the end becomes entering into the community. And all of that leads us to focus on minimal requirements. I remember growing up in our youth group, and there was a question that was often asked around dating relationships. And the question was, how far is too far uh, in a dating relationship in terms of sexual activity? And I'll tell you what the heart of that question often is. It is, how close to the line can I get and make sure that God's not angry with me? It's about minimal requirements rather than asking the question, what is the most holy we can be as we're pursuing God together. 
And church can often be the same way. Or initiation into the community as we draw this line around us. How do we just make sure that we get inside? As long as we're on the inside of the line, then we're good. We can kind of go out and continue the search for others. But the church was never meant to be the end. It's not just getting inside the circle. The purpose has always been what? It's been pursuing Jesus with everything we have. And getting in isn't the end of that journey. It's actually another beginning in that journey. I don't know much about ranching and farming. But I know some of you may have grown up with grandparents that were ranchers. Or maybe your parents, maybe some of you have dabbled in it as well. And as I understand it, as those cattle are there in a West Texas farm, it's important that you have a fence around that property. Perhaps barbed wire or other means to make sure that those cattle stay within the boundary markers. And that, that, that barbed wire provides an opportunity for, uh, for your cattle not to leave, but also for large predators not to find their way in. And so the job of a, of a farmer is to make sure you go around and you mend the fence all around the property, right? To make sure there's no holes in the fence, to make sure that the cattle don't have a way of escaping. And so that's a big task for a rancher is to ensure that's uh, all whole, that the fence is as it should be. But I've heard of places in the Australian outback with so vast a place of a ranch that mending that fence every day would be much too large a, an area. And to go around, would just t- it would be your full-time job just making sure the fence is mended. And so what they do instead of, of putting a, a barbed wire fence around is they actually do something I, I think might actually help us as a church figure out what we're to do. They, they sink a well at the center of the property. And the thought is... we. We can't possibly mend this fence. If that was all we did, that would be it. But if they put a life source, if they put a well at the center of the ranch, then what they know is that those cattle can't wander too far off or they'll die for lack of nourishment. And while those livestock might be prone to wander, they rarely roam off too far because their life source is at the center. And all of us, we're in different stages of this journey. Some of us are, are inside some circle, some place that God's designed, and others of us are, are outside on our way in. We're all in different parts of this journey. But the reality is, when Jesus says to come follow him, you're better off being outside of wherever that circle is on your way toward Jesus than you are being close to the center headed away from Jesus. And for so long, we've taken this circle as the place of safety, and we've, we've hovered around the border trying to make sure we know who's in and who's out, rather than seeking the center of this thing, which was what it was all about. This is what Jesus said when he came to us. I want you to come follow me. This is not about minimal requirements to make sure that you're safe. This is about a wholehearted pursuit of Jesus, because all of us have a next step toward Jesus, don't we? None of us are stopped on that journey. We are on a journey, and, and there's no neutral in the spiritual life. It's not how it works. There are forces that are working to take you away from Christ. There are forces that are trying to move you toward Christ, the Holy Spirit of God. So the question for me is, which way is your arrow headed? Are you pursuing Jesus with all you have? Do you know what your next step is in your journey with God? All of us need to know what our next step is. All of us need to know what God is calling us forward to. And I think it's important that we get this picture that the well at the center is Jesus Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is all these things the gospel of John tells us. You're better off heading toward Jesus and being further from him at the time than you are being close to that and heading away from where Jesus is. Jesus didn't come to set up a religion. He came to call people to follow him. 
And that's what we want to be about here at Greenville Oaks. Our vision is to see Collin County transformed by doing what? By mentoring thousands to help them figure out how they can get closer to Jesus and take their next steps. And in order to do that, we've got to know what it's like to follow Jesus. We've got to find our source at the center. We've got to find our rooting there, abiding in Jesus. But it's not enough to just share a vision about this. It's vital that we create a pathway toward the cross, a pathway of discipleship to accomplish the vision that we've laid out. If we want to mentor thousands, that means there need to be hundreds of us here at Greenville Oaks who are being prepared and equipped to be able to take people who are further out in this journey and to help them understand what their next step is toward the center, the well, the source of life is Jesus. We've been making plans for several years now for a pathway that we can help each one of us know what our next step is toward this kind of mentoring and coaching. We've been making, uh, we've learned along the way as we've been piloting several different groups what seems to work and some things that, that don't along the way. But there are three steps on our discipleship pathway that we've laid out that we want to encourage as many of us as possible to begin this process in this church family. Because what we want is not just good church members who are connected and relationally. We want people who are pursuing Jesus and feel better equipped every day to be able to reach out to the people around them who need mentoring in the abundant life that we're coming to see ourselves. So step one in that process is something we call Rooted. Rooted is a 10-week journey, and, and I love that We've been doing this for several years now, Rooted, actually. And some of you may have been saying all along, what is this Rooted thing? Is it just kind of 10 weeks and then we're done? This morning, we're trying to connect the dots for you to see that Rooted is actually step one in a process toward a goal. We have an end in mind. We need a means, a how to help people get there. Rooted is a group experience that works for people who are new to faith or those who've been a part of faith for decades who are looking for their next step toward Jesus. And here's the amazing thing I love about Rooted. Every time week one, I get to share with the whole group. I get to talk about what it's going to look like and what the commitment is and and what you're signing up for. Every time I'm able to say, you know, at the end of these 10 weeks, what I love is we're going to have a celebration and we're going to hear stories of God's transformation of people. And I've never been disappointed. That has always been followed up because anytime we say yes to God, God says yes to us. God steps into that. And it's amazing the stories of that celebration at the end of those 10 weeks of what God has done in just 10 weeks because people committed to reading Scripture daily, committed to growing their life with God together, committed to sharing with one another and encouraging one another, committed to help each other take those steps. So at the end of those 10 weeks, we have this celebration. We get to hear of what God has done. Without fail, it happens. So Rooted will be something that we're going to call every one of the new people in our church to as a step right after discovering Greenville Oaks. Uh, We're going to talk next week about several steps that many of us might have, what it might look like for you, and we want to make those commitments to whatever our next step may be. But that's going to be the next step because we want people to get invested in community and in a group, and a Rooted is a great way to do that. We also want them to know this is what discipleship looks like. This is the pathway that you begin as you start here as a disciple at Greenville Oaks. But for those of you who've been here for a while, I want to encourage you to do the very same thing. That if you haven't been to Rooted yet, Uh, Make a decision this morning, perhaps, to to do it for the first time. In fact, in the uh, chair in front of you, there should be a yellow card, which uh, has rooted on it. I'd love for all of you to take it out and just take a look at it right now. Uh, There should be a pen there as well. And there's a place to just place your name, additional person attending, email, phone, and then some dates that you don't necessarily have to know right now what those dates may look like. This is going to begin rooted, our next uh, 10-week journey uh, on March 22nd. Uh, and so be looking at your calendars. It'll be 10 weeks, uh, or actually 11 weeks from there. I think we're taking a break for Easter this year, knowing that families are busy. <clears throat> but uh, 
March 22nd is an opportunity to show up to an informational meeting at 3 o'clock in the Teen Center, which is on the far east side of our building. Uh, and if you'll fill out this card, it'll let you know that you have some kind of interest, and we'd love to get in contact with you. Uh, if you know the time that may work best, feel free to indicate that. If not, just show up on the 22nd. And, and uh, I want to ask you at the end of the service today that if you are interested in this and taking your first step in this discipleship pathway, there are baskets all around the room as you leave at each of the doors. Just place that card in the, in the, in the baskets, and we'll make sure we get in touch with you a little bit later on. But this is step one. Inviting people to rooted 10 weeks to begin this discipleship journey. Step two is going deeper. Going deeper is a similar group experience that builds off of rooted and takes it a step deeper from there. And going deeper, we engage a curriculum that challenges people to rethink their narratives of who God is in light of who Jesus said the Father is. It challenges us to rethink life and how life is best done following Jesus in the kingdom of God. And then how do we engage community and the community around us in light of who Jesus is? Going deeper also introduces us to a larger group of spiritual disciplines. I love right now in our, on Sunday nights our, our student ministries walking through spiritual disciplines with our teenagers. Growing up I thought it was just prayer, Bible reading, and fasting if you got around to it. But there's a whole lot more in the Christ, Christian tradition of learning to commune with God, the sacrament of being able to step into a tangible means of God's grace in our lives. And spiritual disciplines are a route to that. And there's many more that we get to share in that journey together. We've been through several groups of going deeper already. And I've already been, a, been able to be a part of a workshop that's part of that as well. Learning how to pray together, learning how to share story, our story together, committing to spiritual rhythms in our lives. would encourage you if you've been through Rooted and you haven't taken that next step to going deeper to do that. Um, and if right now that sounds interesting, start with Rooted, and uh, that is step two would be the going deeper piece. And then step three is coach training. If we are trying to coach the next step, which is what the series is all about, the reason that for that title of this series is if we're going to mentor thousands in the way of Jesus, we've got to know what those steps are, and we've got to become mentors and coaches, disciple makers who are ready to equip and take others on this journey toward Jesus as well. And all of these steps, coach training, is, is a journey through the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus. Because at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, whoever hears these words of mine, Jesus says, and puts them into practice is the wise man. And it's not that the foolish man hasn't heard the commands of Jesus. The foolish one is the one who's heard and hasn't put those things into practice. And so coach training is a chance for us to walk through the Sermon on the Mount, to put that into practice, and to continue the disciplines we've learned. Again, this journey is a three-step process. We're trying to make it as simple and as easy to help you know what your next step is. Because at the end of that, what we desire is for you to be fully equipped. To be able to step into your neighborhood, to be able to step into your school, to be able to step in with uh, a clerk at the, at the grocery store, a, a cashier, and to say, uh, if you don't know what your next step is, I'd love to help you do that. I found the abundant life in Jesus, and we're trying to help others do that the same in our church. And it would be wrong for us as leaders to ask you to be evangelistic and to be helping people with their next step if we're not helping and equipping you. That's the task of leadership in a local church is to equip the saints for works of service. And so that's what we want to be about as a leadership, is we want to help you take your next step in faith. It may be that you haven't committed to Jesus in baptism yet, but we would love to help you take that first step. Or maybe you haven't been to Discover Green Oaks. you've been around for a while, maybe that's your next step, but Rooted would be tremendous for so many of you that haven't yet taken that step. I would encourage you, March 22nd, to be a part of that. Also in that coach training piece is an opportunity to be praying for the entire uh, section of this uh, step three over who it is that God is drawing into our lives. 
Who are the people of peace that God is inviting us to share the good news with, to help them take their steps toward the abundant life? And so these three steps on this discipleship pathway are just intended to help you figure out how, how, how can you be equipped, how can you be readied, how can you be more prepared to engage the opportunities you have in your life. We believe this pathway is the key way that we will move forward in our mission of inspiring people to follow Jesus. Because Jesus didn't start to come to start a religion. Jesus came to announce the arrival of the kingdom of God. Jesus' words to those early disciples were, come follow me. He said, I've come to offer you an abundant and full life. And the church is still God's means toward that end. The greatest spiritual growth that has occurred in my life, church, has happened when there have been spiritual mentors who were ahead of me on my journey, who saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And what they did is they said, there's more in this spiritual life than what you're experiencing. Would you want to walk with me as we discover together what it's like to enjoy Jesus and to walk into the kingdom of God? And along the way, they asked me to do things. Challenges of talking to people about the good news or stepping up and teaching a class for me with the gifts that I had or preaching a sermon. And I thought, I could never do that. But it took stepping out of my comfort zone and having someone ahead of me see something in me and call me to something I didn't think I could do. And when I did it, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I realized I've been empowered in ways I'd never known before. It's going to take some stepping out for some of us in this new season. It's going to take stepping into groups when some of us have been hurt by groups in the past. It's going to take stepping, taking a step toward Jesus when maybe we've been taking steps away from Jesus to discover the abundant life that Jesus wants for every one of us. I didn't see what they saw in me at the time. But God used them in a powerful way in my life. And I'm grateful for each one of them that challenged me, that saw what I couldn't see. And I was stretched by saying yes to them. And in saying yes to them, I was saying yes to God. And let me tell you, God never wastes a yes that a follower of Jesus says on their way to Jesus. God never wastes it. So you're either heading toward Jesus or you're heading away from Jesus. There is no neutral in our spiritual lives. So this morning I would ask you that question. Which way is your arrow pointed? Are you headed toward the well, toward the abundance life that's in Jesus? Or right now are there things that are actually drawing you as a magnet away from Jesus as Lord? Listen, no one of us, no one wants in this room to waste our lives. You don't want to waste your life. I don't want to waste my life. God is calling us to do something pretty big here at Greenville Oaks. And the vision about our future together isn't going to be accomplished because we hire more staff and call on professionals to do more of the work. It's going to happen like it's always happened when God has called his believers, his followers to do this from the ground up. People who experience the love and abundance of Jesus and they're called to go out and share that good news with others. This vision will not take place because of leaders who get in a room. It will not take place because of a preacher or a staff that gets together to make plans. This vision will take place when every one of us grows and points our arrow toward Jesus and experiences the abundant life and is ready to share that good news with others. So I would challenge you, church. What is your next step? What's the next step you have that God's calling you toward in your life? Maybe it's to step out in a way you haven't before. Maybe it's to, to repent of some sin in your life that needs to be turned around on your way to Jesus. Maybe it's a first step that you need to make. Next week, I'm going to finish this series by painting a picture of what this could look like if we actually all take our next steps. And I see some big things ahead. But none of this will happen if each of us doesn't fall more in love with Jesus.
more committed to his way, more excited about sharing this news with those around us who need it most. Before we close this morning, I want to share a few more changes that you're going to see in the weeks and months to come. This vision is a new chapter in this church. We're not the same church we were in 1986. Uh, We're not meeting in a home anymore, and there's a few more things that get prepared Sunday to Sunday. And we want our community to see the changes that are happening around here, not just in a physical way, but to see the spiritual growth that is happening as well. So thanks to several additional donations that have come in from outside of our regular contributions, we've had the opportunity to work with a design company who's worked to begin uh, work on a new website, which needs updating from about a decade ago, and, and a new picture, a new logo for this new phase to picture the changes that are happening around here. Now, a logo is just visually represents who we are, and it's a way to demonstrate to others that we are Greenville Oaks Church of Christ. You're going to begin to see this around the building, on the website, wherever we share who we are with the community. And so this is the new picture of who we're going to be. Again, just a picture on the screen. But it's going to represent who we are in this next phase. And as you look at that logo, I just want to, I want to help you see who God's calling us to be. We exist at Greenville Oaks to inspire people to follow Jesus. Because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. It's the path to the abundant life. And we see Collin County transformed by mentoring thousands to trade the pursuit of all those artificial things we think will give us life. And finding life actually where Jesus told us it would be found. And that's going to take us all taking our next step toward Jesus. Pointing our arrow back to the center, the source of life. And if we do that, abundance will occur. God will bring growth in spiritual ways and in physical ways. Now this is a small change. And what we pray for is that God will bring even greater changes in our own lives. That our hearts will be transformed. And that our lives will reflect that, the fruit of our lives to those around us. So when you see this mark, I hope you'll connect it with our story, with our mission, with who we are. That when people see in our community and say, who is that church? What we're able to say is, let us tell you about the mission and the vision that God has called us on. And I'm very excited about the days ahead. I don't know about you. But this cannot be done from a stage or in an elder room. This happens by every single one of us taking our next step. So what's your next step? What is your next step in abiding in Jesus? What is your next, next fruit, the fruit that God wants to bring from your life? Let's pray as we close our time this morning. Father, we thank you that you tell a story between two trees. The tree of life and the tree of life that finds its way in the new Jerusalem at the end of the story. And all between you tell a story of abundance and of destruction. Because the thief comes and wants to steal and kill and destroy. And we have so many testimonies of how that has happened in our lives. Our tears could be shed this morning just coming up to a microphone and talking about all that bears, uh, that weighs down on us, all that we are burdened by. Because the evil one wants to sow those seeds of destruction, wants to point our arrow away from the cross, wants us to settle for just getting in and then thinking that our journey's finished. But God, Jesus has called us to more. He's called us to a full and abundant life. Doesn't want to steal anything from us. Wants to give us more than we could have asked or imagined. So this morning, God, in the midst of the, the fatigue that many of us feel, or maybe the, the doubt that we're experiencing, or maybe the lost relationships that we're hurting in, or maybe it's sin that's piled up in our lives, or maybe we've lost hope in some way, my prayer this morning is that you would revive that hope within us through your Holy Spirit. And that you would do a work in our county that we have not seen in generations. 
She would bring revival in this place. And it would not happen because only what you're doing, but it would be what you're doing in us and through us that we get to share in your glory for all this. And we do give you the glory, God. You are worthy of all of our praise. We are grateful for the ways that you have brought us from death to life. We are grateful for the prayers that you have answered in ways we'd hoped and even those that you answered in different ways that have drawn us closer to you. So God, this morning as we think about the cross at the center of our lives, and as we think about our next step into life with you, I pray that you would direct us to the right people who can see more in us than we see in ourselves. And God, help us to become those mentors. Help us to become those people who can coach people in the next step because we ourselves have experienced the abundant life. And when you experience the abundant life, you can't help but share that with others. God, I pray for this generative life to come forth from us, for you to breathe on this church, and for you to do a new thing that we are excited to partner with you in. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. And all who agreed say, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Facebook. You can find and like our page at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.